This is Greg Daniels, and you are listening to That's What She Said podcast. That's What She Said, episode 59, Retro, the Client. Hey, hey, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is the one where Michael gets canned. You've seen this brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. It's a rerun. You'll find out. That's what she said. Time circuit's on. That's what she said. Flux capacitor. Fluxing. That's what she said. Let's count it down. Three, two, one. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. I think we should share an awesome lesson. What do you think? They are awesome. And welcome to episode 59 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your human resources coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week you're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the seventh episode of season two, entitled The Client, which originally aired Tuesday, November 8th, 2005. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. It's crunch time for Michael and Jen as they try to win the Lackawanna County account. But will Michael's apparent ineptitude queer the deal? Back in the office, Agent Michael Scar and FBI makes his dramatic debut. Dwigged gets dissed, and Jim and Pam have their first date. Or do they? One thing's for sure, Twist listeners, we'd never leave you at a high school hockey game. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why did you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? All right, and joining me at the water cooler again this week is our dear friend Kevin Crossman. Kevin, how you doing? Oh, great, Matt. Happy New Year to you and all the... That's what she said, listeners. How was your Christmas holiday? Uh, well, you know, it was good. Uh, kind of uneventful. Not a whole lot happening. A lot of uh, family get-togethers, some rock band action. Uh, nice, peaceful two-week vacation from school, alas. It's back to the grind for me this last past weeks. Counting the days till no, uh, till April, my friend. i got to say, I'm so happy that this is the listener's choice, the client, and because uh, it's one of my favorite episodes of The Office ever. And it's true, and we kind of have maybe are sounding a little bit like a broken record because we already did Office Olympics and the Dundies from season two, and both of them were just like, "Wow, I can't believe how awesome this is!" And well, what can I say? <laughs> another great one, another classic episode. Before we get any further though, in here, this was if you uh, aren't on the Twitter feed or you don't come to the That's What She Said blog page, this was a listener's choice episode i threw it out there a couple weeks ago to ask what episode people wanted to see and uh, there was some swag involved kevin a copy of the office and philosophy up for debate for the person that gave me the winning entry and we had six people that gave the winning entry and so i'm gonna randomly pick a number here uh let's see number four and our winner is drew all right, Drew, uh, send us your contact information. I don't know if this is the Drew that we had as one of our guest hosts last year, but uh, if it is, uh, what the hell, we'll still give him the book anyway. We have no problems with conflict <laughs> of interest at our, at our podcast. It was, uh, it was all above board. So, Drew, send us your contact information, and you will get a slightly used copy of The Office and Philosophy for your perusal. All right, well, as you said, here we are doing The Client, and this is actually the seventh episode, like I said, of season two, and by this point, the show is really finding its legs, very much different in tone and stories and everything from the British show, Uh, and this episode particularly marks a very clear distinction where the authors uh, and the writers of the show have kind of thrown down the gauntlet and said, David Brent is mean, kind of nasty, incompetent guy who's just not really going anywhere. And that may work in that show, but Michael Scott is, he can't in America, we don't like people who are just total losers. Uh, we can't accept him not being at least somewhat successful in his job. And so here we get to see one of my favorite scenes ever, where Michael looks like he's bumbling and, and making an idiot of himself during this business meeting, but yet pulls off in ultra smooth style the, the big sale 
at the end. And so he really kind of comes out on top, and we hadn't really seen that before. That's right, and I think I'll, I'll dust off the persona of our mutual friend from Film Spotting, Sam Van Hyperbole, <laughs> and say that this is probably the most important episode of The Office uh, that's been filmed to date in terms of its success for the show, because as you noted, it was a very big departure and made Michael Scott a much, much more sympathetic character. And also, I think, really turned up the heat on that whole Jim and Pam relationship as well in a very much more direct way. Of course, led to the climax at the end of season two in Casino Night. And I can tell you, I, I think we talked about it when we did the retro episodes for season one. I, I tuned into those. I didn't really like it. It was very negative. And this was the first episode of season two that I kind of tuned back in. I gave it a second shot. And boy, was I happy because this really was a great episode. And, and uh, I was familiar with our, you know, the guest star in this episode, Tim Meadows. And the whole relationship with Michael and Jen as it built through this episode was just amazing. And uh, again, I really think that this, this is a turning point for the show. Uh, the earlier episodes in season two are very good as well. But this one really made it the show that we have known to love. But at the same time, i got to tell you, going back to this episode, it did feel different than our current uh, season because it it is kind of slower. It is really focused on two plot lines. We don't have a million different side plots with every secondary character like we do today. And so in that respect, it did feel a little different. You know, you say different, I say better. Perhaps, I don't know. I, I hate to go there because, like I said, it's kind of shooting fish in a barrel by saying, well, season two is better than season five. But there's so much in this episode. Not a, not a moment was wasted, I didn't think. Everything was great from... I, originally, I hadn't watched this episode in a little while, and I forgot about the whole Michael Scarn plot line, which yeah. is... That's hilarious in and of itself. Then you have the, the Jim and Pam, one of the most romantic and best Jim Pam moments ever which is a moment that I have weighed almost all the other moments against as I'm watching this. Like I said, uh, some people were bawling and crying over the gas station <laughs> proposal, but yeah, whatever. I look at this episode. I mean, this is like so wonderful. The way, and just even the way it was shot, I'm on the roof uh, with the fireworks going off in the distance and the sandwiches and then, you know, sharing the iPod and all that stuff is very, uh, very wonderfully done, uh, very nicely put together, and it was a big culmination for that couple up to that point. Cause they hadn't really gotten that sort of lovey-dovey up until this point, and then of course they had to deflate it at the end with uh, right. <laughs> with Pam again coming to her senses and Jim kind of putting his foot in his mouth a little bit. So yeah, uh, but yeah, so that was great. Yeah, and like you mentioned, of course we had Jan as a character totally changing. Uh, her role in the show, because up till now, she had been just a total cold bitch. Uh, the hilarious line in this episode, I'll play it in a second, where Michael's like, you know, if you saw her asleep on a train, you'd think that she was dead. <laughs> I mean, just, and that goes from the whole bashing, remember from the first season, the whole Hillary Rodham Clinton and, you know, Godzillary or whatever, all that stuff, uh, kind of yeah. ragging on her, to now we get, and I think that Melora Hardin mentions it in the commentary, her first like on-screen smile. We actually see her <laughs> smile in this episode for the first time, and uh, just the way that came together was very smooth. And I, I, I'm not sure that anyone could have predicted where that would have led <laughs> to this stretch pants wearing, you know, candle making, dinner party hosting Jan Levinson of season four. But uh, um, at this point, yeah, I mean, it was new and it was kind of interesting and it was exciting, and then it led into some of the other issues with Valentine's Day and. Uh, their on-again, off-again relationship. And as we kind of mentioned in Valentine's Day, at this point, it could very well have just been a one-off. There was no real reason why that this uh, could have continued. In fact, it very much looked like it wouldn't continue, especially mm -hmm. with the the phone call at the end there, you know, insinuating that Michael slipped or some uh, roofies or something. You know, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of good stuff. Um, some good lines from the supporting cast. But, yeah, it's... It is kind of refreshing not to have the five couples and the uh, secret romances and this and that and all these kind of crazy things going on. So I, I thought this episode was almost pitch perfect from, from the get-go. So we're going to have a lot of positive stuff to say about this. And since you mentioned Tim Meadows, let's bring that up just a little bit. Because we 
kind of talked about the guest stars in the various episodes and whether we think they are appropriate or not or whether they fit in with the Office universe. Um, mm-hmm. Tim Meadows, for me, is almost one of those guys where he's almost too famous to really fit into the Office universe. Um, I thought he did a decent job as this character, but I was as I was watching it, I was very aware of, oh, this is Tim Meadows. This is the... Uh, <laughs> The smooth love guy, the ladies' man. Uh, this is, you know, the guy I've seen on Saturday Night Live for so long. And, and so that kind of stuck out a little bit for me. Uh, he's, like I said, kind of pushing that line. Anybody that's m- more famous than he is, I think, as a guest star, would really really be a mistake and kind of disrupt the whole feel of that Scranton universe. What did you think about his performance in this episode? Well, he wasn't given a ton to work with, but I thought he played the serious when he needed to, and then he he really sold the whole Michael is really killing it with the client <laughs> in this episode, where he you know spits up his food and he's he's opening up to Jan and to Michael, and I think that that part was done very effectively. But yeah, he didn't exactly chew the scenery up with some crazy antics or anything like that. Well, maybe that wrist-cutting scene or whatever that baffling line was, but we'll get to that, I guess, when we get to it. But, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, he did an okay job. As I was watching it today, I don't think that it was very... He seemed a little bit like he was maybe acting or trying just a little too hard, perhaps, in in some of the scenes. But, you know, all in all, he did a a decent job. And, yeah, that's one of the things I liked about this episode is that feeling that it was real that michael's winning him over wasn't manufactured that we bought it that we really felt that right. that this is kind of like you know a lonely guy who is yeah i'm up for a joke yeah i'm up for some ribs you know whatever i <laughs> right. I, I got nothing else to do whatever you know and and I, what i really love and we're gonna play this clip but i i love the fact that they actually told a joke in this a, a very traditional joke joke in this episode where Michael talks about the three different kinds of cars that the guys right. drove, and which was actually funny, and you actually laugh, because so often in sitcoms, somebody will give the setup of a joke, and you'll never hear the punchline, or somebody will just give a punchline, and you'll never hear the setup, and you're supposed to laugh and think it's funny. It's like a really cheating way to, uh, you know, to get this across, but I thought that was a great line. Um, just And everything, and just the way that he did it, and the smooth moves, the smooth transition from talking about uh, he grew up here and everything to how he understands it to making a sale and, you know, telling Jan to shut up while he was trying to do his stuff. I mean, this is that first time, like we said, where he actually showed off just exactly how good he is and how he got this job in the first place. You know, how on earth did this guy get to be the boss? And here's how he got to be the boss. He was a great salesman. And, if there's one thing that I think that this episode maybe did wrong is to maybe set the bar too high. Because after this, I found myself, and I've done it for the last three years, comparing Michael's performance every week to his performance in this episode. Where I, you know, if he sucks at something or if he's bad at selling, I'm like, well, wait, that's not, no, that doesn't fit. That's not right with the character. But again, I mean, that's kind of the thing is where we get him being competent sometimes and incompetent other times. So I guess one question I had was, what did you think of the cold open? Because I thought that, that one was a little, eh. It, there were some good parts in it, but uh, I, obviously there's some plot points we'll talk about probably in a second. But it, <laughs> it was it was okay, but it wasn't great. I guess you know, that part was probably a little flat compared to the rest of the episode. Well, I'm not a huge fan usually of the cold opens, but I gotta say that this was it. It, it did still play into the main plot with Ryan getting the lucky tie for the meeting and everything. But right. I don't. I don't know, man. I thought Carell just like going nuts with his jeans. I thought was pretty funny. Obviously, I don't know if it was just all him improving or whatever. But he's like standing on the table with his hands in his back pockets doing like some weird little western kick step and then he's <laughs> clomping around with his foot and feet in garbage cans and stuff like I, and rubbing his jean at you know covered ass at pam uh, i don't know i thought it was pretty right. amusing the only thing that was kind of funny about this and and jenna fisher actually brought this up in the commentary that they introduced the concept of casual friday in this episode and then they've never ever had a casual friday in the office and there's been plenty of episodes set on Friday, so who knows what happened. Maybe Michael's gene harassment, you know, ended it all for everyone. 
Oh, there you go. That's an easy way to explain it. <laughs> well, this episode was written by Paul Lieberstein and directed by Greg Daniels. So, again, I mean, it's the very top of the top list of quality people involved in the show, obviously. So, uh, you know, no no bad <laughs> no bad stuff here. Actually, a lot of uh, interesting choices, some good dialogue bits, and uh, some directorial choices from Greg Daniels, at least if you listen to the commentary. Um, supposedly it was his idea at the end to have Michael crawl into the desk to uh, to get away from the cameras. I thought it was a, a brilliant scene. Uh, just everything in this episode, I don't know, was, was very... Very pitch perfect, like I said. So I'm I'm pretty stoked. I don't know any other comments before we dive into the clip. Well, I think that the other thing is that obviously looking at this episode, knowing what happens, the the whole thing with Jan wanting kids, and obviously the relationship issues, it's just a lot of fun to go back to these old episodes and see these little hints of what was to come. I guess the other thing is the way this this the way that this episode ends also is very reminiscent of some other episodes where Michael and Jim have a moment together and that whole bonding thing, I think it was the first time we saw that thing going on in this episode as well. Right, that's another good point. We talked about that. We've always liked those moments between Jim and Michael with Booze Cruise and uh, Benihana Christmas, for example. Um, Again, according to the commentary track, that was that moment, that shared look at each other at the end was like, eh, chicks, what are you going to do? That kind of thing. That, that, That was in in the show from the original pitch. Uh, good stuff. So we'll get into that when we get to that point in a little while. All right, let's dive into the clips here. Um, what's going on? Michael and Jan are in the office. Everybody's running around. Ryan's running around getting uh, Michael's dry cleaning for him. And uh, I'll just let Jim explain. So this possible client they're talking about, actually a big deal. It's Lackawanna County, our whole county. And if we get this, they might not have to downsize our branch. And I could work here for years, years, years. So when we get to the Radisson, I'd oh, like to... Oh, I changed uh, it to Chili's. You had no right to do that, Michael. Here's the thing. Chili's is the new golf course. It's where business happens. Small Businessman magazine. It said that. It will. I sent it in. Letter to the editor. All right. But you will let me run this meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Power trip. What? <laughs> I just love that Michael's philosophy. You know, this is. I, I, we can talk about product placement. Of course, we talked about it during the Dundies that that was set at Chili's, and here we have in, within seven episodes another episode set at Chili's. Uh, it didn't. It just. I don't know. Like I said, maybe I'm dense. It just never felt that way. Like it didn't feel like a product placement to me. Uh, the way it was integrated into the script and just his whole, you know, it will when they get my letter. I don't know. I thought that part was brilliant, and I, I, I do think, I mean, if, you, if you're if you thinking about how to approach the guy from Lackawanna County, do you want to go to Chili's or do you want to go to the Radisson? And I think this is Michael's natural instincts taking over, and this is a brilliant move, I think. Yeah, um, and I thought that that whole that whole bit about him writing into Small Business Fan Magazine and quoting himself from, from the future or something like that was <laughs> was pretty funny too. And of course, we talked about in the Dundies there is no Chili's in Scranton, so that's a big you know issue. Ah, well, yeah, he does say in the in the dialogue that it's only a couple blocks down from their office park. So, alas, but you know what? The other thing about that uh, clip that we played in there is it shows the uh, heretofore you know kind of antagonistic relationship between. Michael and Jan, which is why that ending really came as such a surprise to us right. back in 2005. Uh, that, you know, the power trip <laughs> line and all that, just going back and forth, kind of sniping at each other. And when they get into the parking lot, when they're leaving, he, don't you know Scranton, Jan? Come on, Jan. Dur, 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 dur. I mean, just <laughs> kind of back and forth. Interesting developments. Based on what you said in the past, Kevin, I'm sure that you enjoyed this upcoming line here. Um, as Michael and Jan are getting ready to leave, of course, our friend Dwight has some final words. Good luck, Michael. Good luck, Jan. Thank you. Kiss ass. Okay, probably going to go late tonight. I think you all could just uh, take off now. Michael, this shouldn't take more than an hour. Well... Do you always shut down the entire office when you leave for an hour? No, no, that would not be efficient. Actually, they just don't get very much work done when I'm not here. That's not true. I know how to delegate, and they do more work when I'm not here. Not more, the same amount of work. 
is done whether I am here or not. Hey everybody, listen up. This is what we're gonna do. You sit tight until I return. Sound good? Doesn't matter. It's an order. Follow it blindly. <laughs> okay. All right. Ciao. Adios. <laughs> yeah, like that little adios point out to Oscar in the back. In the <laughs> like I said, I'm sure your favorite line in there is the whole uh, you know calling Dwight a kiss ass <laughs> under his yeah, breath. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I was just mentioned Steve Carell there, that whole bit where he just went on a little journey and came back finally to square one, and yeah. that's in order, follow it blindly. I mean, it's just great stuff. You can see the hamster wheel turning in his brain as he's thinking. He's like, oh, well, he's trying to keep, keeps trying to get himself out of trouble, but then realizes that everything he says is wrong, and so he keeps changing it and changing it and changing it, and uh, eventually, yeah, I guess he settles, nowhere else to go, but... As they leave then to the restaurant, this is, again, another little bit of kind of information that pops up in here, which kind of leads to uh, and allows Michael and Jan to sort of hook up at the end of the episode. As they arrive at the Chili's, Michael learns some interesting new facts about his boss. Jan Levinson Gould. Jan is cold. If she was sitting across from you on a train and she wasn't moving, you might think she was dead. Hello? Christian? Yes. I thought that was you. Hi. Hi. Michael Scott, this is Jan Levinson Gould. Just Jan Levinson. Uh, no Gould? No. Thank you very much for meeting with us. Have you been waiting long? No, Good. not long. Good. Uh, Jan, what happened? Michael. Is Gould dead? Uh, what, uh... Michael, we got divorced, okay? I'm so wow. sorry. Excuse you're me. kidding me. Do you want to talk about it? Michael, uh, could we have a table for three, please? When did this happen? We're in a meeting. Okay. Wait, please? Christian. <clears throat> All right. After you. You know, I love that. Michael's just so flabbergasted, and there's like this kind of really good visual gag there when they're going to their tables where he turns around to the camera and he's like, wow. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, he's just so full of curiosity here. He's got to know, you know, like, I love that line too. Is Gould dead? <laughs> so, that's, it's kind of funny. We, the whole first season, of course, we had the hyphenated name. Really, I think just because the British counterpart had the hyphenated name. So, Gould then is gone out of the picture, which gives Mike a little more free reign. So here we are introduced then to, to Tim Meadows, of course, Christian, uh, the guy from the Lackawanna County. And uh, as they're sitting there, and that's the thing we kind of just mentioned before, Jan, all through the beginning part of the show and, and as they're driving over here, very clear to Michael that she's the one in charge. He's not to say anything. He's not to, to do anything. And Michael, as soon as they get here, just totally disregards everything that she has to say and this is kind of where it starts and and like i said before the the amusing thing about this i guess or, or the sort of the gotcha twist thing about this is that i guess if you're not really paying much attention you're this looks sort of like michael is just being an idiot and is really blowing everything so for us the name of the game is budget reduction awesome blossom what I think we should share an awesome blossom. What do you say? They are awesome. Sure. Okay, sure. it's done. So hey, um, I heard you a, a very, very funny joke the other day. You want to hear it? Christian, you don't, you don't have to listen to this. We it's can. okay. I like jokes. Okay. The first guy says, well, I'm an astronaut, so I drive a Saturn. And the second guy says, well, I am a pimp, so I drive a cheap Escort. And the third guy says, I got you both beat. I'm a proctologist. So I drive a brown probe. Oh, no. Oh, my God, that's funny. I almost had awesome blossom coming out of my nose. Oh. Can, can I have a vodka tonic, please? So, of course, from Jan's point of view, everything's going horribly, horribly wrong. Um, but that's what I was talking about. That's a joke before. I thought that was actually a very out-and-out -out funny, honest-to-God funny joke. And I might tell that to some people at work tomorrow. It's a hilarious joke, and the way Steve Carell delivers it, too, with the way he leans in on the punchline is awesome. Uh, extra awesome, actually. And I, that was the way he ordered the awesome blossom was pretty funny as well. So, And then I like the way you get – they talk about it on the commentary as well, but the dynamic, of course, with Jan sitting in the middle between these two guys who are getting along – starting to warm to each other, and then she's kind of in the middle, feeling stressed out about the whole <laughs> yeah. not getting business done thing. And, in, of course, now she's she's out of her mind. She just needs a drink to, to cope with it, and thus 
Uh, it all goes downhill from here for oh, Gina, I think. Oh, Michael, you crazy nut. The other thing I wanted to talk about in that scene is because I, I, it, it didn't really work because it's kind of a visual and it was a little bit too long, but uh, I really like that scene where he gets to tell one joke and so he goes like to the bathroom and then calls the office and Pam goes in and looks in his joke book for him. Mm-hmm. And just, I, I, I like the way that Pam played it just so straight-faced. Like, there was no snark or no cynicism or no, like, oh, you stupid idiot, Michael, or boy, or, you know, Pam wasn't, like, winking at the camera, saying, oh, gee, what a dumb thing I have to do. I mean, she just was playing right along with it, and just, it, it was a really nice scene. I just like how that went, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's, oh, that's great, tell, tell it to me, you know, and she, it, it just, it, it just made it feel like they were kind of a team. Everything was kind of working together. Well, maybe she's done this before, and uh, that's Michael's go-to code for, um, I'm scoring with the, with the client, and I'm going to Bring home a big sale that everyone will benefit from. Well, whatever was a great scene all around, both in and out of the office. And, of course, Pam accessing that joke book will lead to the second plot line in the episode, which we will get to shortly. So as the night progresses there, you know, Jan sort of gives up, gets her drink. Michael seems like he's acting like an idiot. And things just kind of keep going from there. But that's, you know, like I said, the, the, the point is kind of building the rapport between these these two guys and Jan, obviously, I, I'm you know I'm guessing that she doesn't have a whole lot of sales experience. Maybe just that uh, Ryan style MBA or something. But mm-hmm. she just constantly tries to screw things up for Michael while he's working his magic. We would probably be upset with ourselves if we went this whole night without talking business. So, mm. what's the bottom line? That's why I wanted a signal between us, so I wouldn't have to just shout nonsense words. That's her fault. Did somebody say baby back ribs? Hmm. I don't think Christian has time for that. I have time. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back ribs. Of course, it's like a classic. One of the most memorable commercial jingles of all time i have to say i don't know maybe some of our younger listeners might not have been around or aware of that whole thing during that was it the 90s that was going on uh but yeah very very catchy (laughs) and again it doesn't it it it, obvious product placement but it's it didn't come across as ridiculously obvious because that was such a kind of catchy goofy song that you would definitely be singing if you were sitting there looking at the menu. Well, and in, especially in this case where it kind of allows Michael to really bring the client into the, the whole world there. And if, if you're going to be at Chili's, you're going to order their signature dishes <laughs> like the Awesome Blossom or the Baby Back Ribs. Yeah, exactly. And that's like I said before at the beginning of the show, you know, he's just, yeah, I'm down with that. <laughs> I got nothing else to do. Hey, what the hell? He's having a good time, you know, having some fun. And uh, Jan just wants to get down to the nitty gritty and wants to get out of there. And Michael, I love that, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't that have had to speak. Fault. <laughs> wouldn't have had to speak nonsense. <laughs> she would have come up with a signal. Yeah, it's part of their uh, again, part of their conversation in the car as they were driving over there. Uh, speaking of product placements, I guess since we were talking about this before, uh, Michael in this season, of course, is still driving his convertible Sebring, and uh, the guys mentioned that the Sebring was not a paid product placement. So I don't know if we mentioned that before, but that uh, just, I guess they just picked that for comedic value and it had nothing to do with Chrysler. Well, given that it was not exactly a flattering uh, portrayal <laughs> of a car, I guess I can understand why it wouldn't be product placement. Oh, come on. Michael loved that car. Michael loved the car. <laughs> not exactly your best spokesperson, right? Uh, all right. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> well, as things progress, the drinks progress, the ribs progress, there's a... Uh, you know, the scene, like you said, with Jan in the middle while the two guys are sucking ribs off their fingers and <laughs> slurping it up, <laughs> which is a, a classic shot, great visual gag. As it goes on and on, things are getting a little more intimate, and Michael playing truth or dare with uh, talking about some real personal stuff, and now it's down to Jan. Well, this brings us to Jan. Truth or dare? Tell us about your divorce. Ooh. No. Oh, really? Hey, so you're not going to play. She's not playing. She's not playing the game. We've been fighting for a while. He didn't want kids. I knew that going into it, but he also knew that I did. Mm -hmm. So I guess I thought that he would change his mind. He thought that I would change mine. You didn't. I was stupid. No, no, you were not stupid. Gould was stupid, right? That's right. 
You know, you were really brave. I mean, you you put your arms out there, you slit your wrist. Sure. You said, "World, this is my blood. It's red, just like yours. So love me." Dude, I'm still baffled. I'll never be not baffled by that speech. <laughs> right there. A little dramatic, perhaps, but I guess he's on his seventh or eighth Mai Tai. Yeah, that, maybe that, that was the margaritas talking or something. I don't know. But, I mean, the, the whole thing is at least he's becoming empathetic with her situation. And that, of course, is Michael's um, idea by bringing in that whole situation. And, of course, Michael wants to learn exactly what happened as well. Yeah, so uh, that's a double whammy, like you said. It, personalizes it, makes them friends, exchanges them information. Of course you're not going to, you're going to give the paper contract to the person you had the drink with, right? You you spilled your guts to. The local hometown boy, you're not going to go with Staples. All right, well, here again, like I said, speaking of which, here is the ultra smooth transition then where a few minutes later, Michael closes the deal. I spent my whole life right here in Lackawanna County, and I do not intend on moving. <laughs> it's home, you know? I know the challenge is county's up against. Here's the thing about those discount suppliers. They don't care. They come in, they undercut everything, and they run us out of business. And then, once we're all gone, they jack up the prices. I know. It's sad. It's terrible. It is. You know what? It really is. Uh, I don't know. I guess I could give you guys our business, but you have to meet me halfway, okay? Because they're expecting me to make cuts. Well... Corpus gonna go ballistic, but uh, you think we could, Jan? There you go, the the master at work, telling Jan to shut up and <laughs> just totally in control of everything. I mean, this is like I said, this is the rare instance where Michael is the master. There were a couple sort of turns, uh, slow turns of a look. There was one with Dwight later in the episode, but this one with Jan, where she brings out the slow smile of satisfaction. Might be one of the most fulfilling moments in season two. I loved that moment. <laughs> As we mentioned before, probably the first smile that we've ever seen out of Jan Levinson on the show. So uh, Michael finally does something right, I guess. So there you go. I mean, the the deal is closed. Uh, new friends, of course. Everything's wonderful. Jan's happy and excited, which leads into probably the worst mistake of her life. No, nothing happened. A gentleman does not kiss and tell, and neither do I. <laughs> no, seriously, guys, I'm not. I'm. I don't, I don't want to go into it at all. Soft limits. Fine. I took her back to her hotel and we made out for a little while. It was great. I mean, she told me about her divorce. We talked for about five hours. She fell asleep on my arm. Hello, Dwight. Did you do her? Who? Jen Levinson Gould. Uh, no, no, no Gould. Did you do her? This is none of your affair. And you know what? I don't think I can sit here and let you talk about her that way without me defending her honor. Jan, I defend your honor. There's so much good stuff in that little scene that is visual. The whole thing where they, I mean, there's a lot of camera awareness in this episode. When they're in the, when Jan and Michael are in the parking lot kind of getting cozy and they kiss for the first time, the cameraman's like hidden in a parked car and you kind of right. see see that so it's not totally obvious what's going on and that the cameraman comes into the office and it's totally dark and turns the lights on and then there's Dwight, it's an awesome, awesome gag with Dwight laying on the couch underneath one of those astronaut blankets. <laughs> and it's like blue, saggy uh, jockey shorts. Well, he wakes, up in a pan- <laughs> he wakes up in a panic looking for Michael, even though he, he must <laughs> not realize it's like the first thing in the morning. Michael, 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 where are you? <laughs> I know. Well, he's he going to come back. Outside. He's waiting for him to come back. He never yeah. did. So. <laughs> and, and and the whole the whole looking out the window thing, you see uh, Angela out there coming into work early. She sees Jan. Then Jan looks up the window and gets all upset that she's been seen out in the parking lot coming home, obviously, after a rendezvous. And then, of course, the slow turn there by Dwight. And, of course, the interesting thing, too, I think, with this episode is that uh, this must be before they built the whole set where all these f- scenes in the office were filmed on set because it was organic sunlight coming in through these windows, and you could see it even in Jim's talking head earlier in the episode. So uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to notice going back to this episode. And uh, what did you think about that slow close-up of Michael as he was talking about his experience with Jan, that was kind of interesting. 
Yeah, it was. They talk about it in the commentary that they were all kind of impressed that Carell had the the guts or the you know whatever the chops to pull that off. It, it was an interesting turn, and it played out a lot longer than I, I had it on the clip there, where he starts out, of course, denying everything, uh, but then he and he's like, no, I'm not going to go there, guys. Don't go there. It, but he's still so proud, and he's bursting with wanting to get this out that he breaks down and, and tells him everything. I don't know. I thought it was a great scene. And I, I got to say, the kiss in the parking lot, very organic, very natural, very well played, and she just goes for it. She's like, let's get out of here. And he's like, where are we going? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I thought that that was just awesome. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're hugging, and they're happy, and he actually kisses her very briefly on the lips, and then they kind yes. of pull apart, and then... Then it's like, oh, okay, let's come back together. So, you know, it goes from being just kind of a celebration of coworkers to something more. And like I said, the the day that lives in infamy for Jan Levinson. Absolutely. She traced, traced the entire downfall of her life to that one moment there. Good stuff. And that's the thing. That's not really the capper now. Everybody knows. Somehow, I guess Dwight told everyone, or maybe Michael told everyone, but but Jan, uh, you know, Jim and Pam know what happened, and of course, there's one last call from Jan on the way out, and and the the humor in this last bit is Michael, as usual, going overboard. He brings up the idea of the human resources love contract and uh, all this stuff about their bur- you know burgeoning relationship and and this and that, and of course, uh, <laughs> it's all in his mind. Well. If it was a mistake, it was a wonderful mistake. No, I did not intentionally get you drunk. Mm-hmm. No, no. This is just a fight. This is just the first fight of many fights we're going to have. See, you, I don't understand. You want to see other people. Only other people. What? <laughs> okay. I think you're still a little bit drunk. Excuse me. Excuse me? I think you're... Yes. Let's just come back here. And go to the hotel, have a few drinks. No, I didn't slip you something. <laughs> and of course, Jan totally backpedaling, like I said, accusing him of giving her a roofie or getting her drunk, and, and it's all his fault. And of course, she's just wallowing in utter shame at this point. <laughs> to have, uh, well, not even, she didn't really do anything, actually, but just like you said, kiss and make out for a while, but. Yeah, nothing to worry about. <laughs> But still, and Michael could have played it off. And I love that, like I, I mentioned that already, that visual gag of Michael trying to get away from the cameras as this is going wrong. You know, at first he's sort of proud and he's bragging, you know, hey, baby, what's up? You know, how you doing? Yeah. How's the drive going and everything, you know? And, and once it starts to turn, he just, you know, hey, get out of here, get out of here. And he crawls under his desk. I don't know, it's just uh, awesome visual. Uh, so I, I just, again, this was the time where I was really in love with Jan Levinson all through season two. Uh, this is where it started, and uh, it's funny how characters can change, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's part of her arc is that once they had her go down that road, there was really nowhere for her to go. Once you get involved with Michael, I guess you kind of take your life in your hands. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> let's dive into the other plot line, the Jim and Pam and the Office plot line here. And this is just like with Office Olympics. I love this construction of the episode where it's the Michael plot and then there's the other whole rest of the office plot. I like how that comes up. Not just one or two characters. It's kind of interesting to see how they interact with everybody in the office, even if it's just a little tiny part. Well, it's, it's mostly a Jim and Pam plot and a little bit of sprinkling in of the other characters for flavor as opposed to the way it is now where each, each of those other characters has a major role. All right, well, so let's just get, go ahead and get into this plot. As it starts off here, uh, and this is kind of a thread that runs through the episode, uh, Jim and the rest of the office staff are in the break room discussing really bad first dates, and Pam comes in to win the contest. What's going on? We are doing worst first dates. Oh, my God, I win. Okay, it was a minor league hockey game. He brought his brother, and when I went to the bathroom, the game ended, and they forgot about me. Okay, that's a joke. No, they had to come back for me. Wait, when was this? Um... It was not that long ago. Wait, not Roy. Say it's not your fiance. <laughs> I always knew Pam has refused to go to sports games with Roy, but I never knew why. Interesting. You know, this is interesting because at this point in the show, there is still a lot of backstory that they haven't really developed yet um, because 
this, you know, they're talking about first dates, and Pam's bringing up her first date with Roy, which she says mm-hmm. not that long ago. But in in later continuity, they make it that they first started going out in high school, and they said they've been going out right. for like nine years. So it's mm-hmm. a little weird. And then in Blues Cruise, I think they establish, or no, in the Dundies, they talk about the long engagement and everything. So yeah, it's still a little little out there. I'm not going to nitpick it because they're still kind of building the universe. Uh, one thing I will bring up though is that at this point in the show, Oscar, of course, is still heterosexual. Well, or he's telling the story as if he's closeted. <laughs> For example, maybe maybe it was a, a date with a man. And he just said she did the thing. Ah, uh, well, I guess you can always play it that way. But <laughs> yeah. I just honestly don't uh, think that it crossed anyone's mind at this point in the show. No, I don't think so either. But I, I liked that's the way Pam told the story. There, she realizes almost to the end. Oh wait, I'm in trouble now. And <laughs> and then of course we get the great talking head from Jim. And uh, of course there was a deleted scene where he talks about his first date with Pam, and. Uh, I think that was, that's definitely worth checking out on the deleted scene. Yeah, it was a good sure. scene. His worst, or, uh, best first date and worst first date, of course. The the best date that they had a great time, and the worst date is finding out that she was engaged. It's a nice, yeah, it is a nice little scene, but alas. And the one thing that's kind of interesting about this is the Jim's whole talking head there at the end of that clip where he is like, you know, hmm. I'm not really sure how to read that at first. I guess the way that this played out is that. It, he was seeing this as maybe a reason to think that he could win her over, you know, like I'm better than that. If this is what he's doing, you know, this this is how he treats her. Maybe there's room for me in there. And he actually was much more into this whole thing with them, their dinner and everything, and, and brings up the fact that they had a date and that it was romantic right. and all that stuff. And she's, I guess, maybe she was just kind of covering, but it seems she was really not not really seeing it that way. No, I, I think you. I think you're onto something there because you're right. Swooping in on somebody's fiance isn't really a cool thing unless the guy who's the fiance is kind of a jerk, which <laughs> well, we learn later. Right. But in any case, uh, yeah, he does seem to take a more active role in sort of building this uh, whole date scenario. Well, as we mentioned, then when Pam goes into Michael's office to get the joke book, she in his drawer then makes a startling. Wonderful discovery. This is real? It is a screenplay starring himself. Agent Michael Scar. Of the FBI. How long is that? Oh, Pam, good work. Do we all have our copy of Threat Level Midnight by Michael Scott? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get this started. I'm going to be reading the action descriptions. And Phyllis, I would like you to play Captain Zeta Jones. That's the character's name. You guys should not be doing this. Why not, Dwight? This is a movie. I mean, this is for all of America to enjoy. You took something that doesn't belong to you. Dwight brought it in here. Do you want to play the lead role of Agent Michael Scarn? Yes, I have acted before. I was in a production of Oklahoma in the seventh grade. I played the part of Muty, the mailman. They had too many kids, so they made up roles like that. That was good. <laughs> good old Muty the Mailman. He's one of my favorites from that musical, i got to say. A lot of good stuff in there. You know, that the whole threat level midnight and everything. Just, it's such a <laughs> wonderful, stupid, you know, kind of rip on the whole James Bond sort of thing that you could imagine totally coming out of Michael Scott's head putting himself in the role of, you know, this naming the character Catherine Zeta-Jones and all the other stupid people, Goldface <laughs> and uh, Samuel L. Chang. Right. <laughs> all the other wacky bits in the in the script, you know, it perfect, uh, perfectly captures Michael's uh, vivid imagination. And plus, he's not just a screenwriter, he's also a visual designer with those drawings <laughs> as well, right? Yeah, that's true, some visual gag. And, and uh, in the commentary, it was revealed that those were drawn by Greg Daniels, and they uh, they brought in a real artist to sort of try to redraw them, but they ended up looking too good, so they went and used his original pictures. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about the commentary that they mentioned that from what I got out of this, at least, they, they seem to imply that all this table reading stuff was all ad-libbed. I mean, did you get that from the commentary? Yeah, that's, that's exactly the, the sort of vibe they were throwing out there. I don't know how literal that is. They must have had to have something in there. Uh, but, yeah, the, you could tell they were having a lot of fun with it. Frankly, I mean, the idea of a table read, I think that's something that audiences now are kind of hip to. 
because people see the DVD, you know, these special features or something like that, stuff you might not have known about years ago. And so we can kind of see how Jim sort of says, oh, this is great. We'll do a table read just like they do in those movies and uh, gets everyone together at the end of the day of the office. And we even see Pam gets so into it that when Roy comes by, she's like, no, no, I still have to work late. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> are you serious? Yes. <laughs> And it's kind of funny, I guess you could say, because we've seen that before where she's had to leave because he wanted her to leave, and she was the oppressed, kind of run-down, abused woman or whatever in those cases. But here she just kind of says, yeah, i got to stay. And he's like, oh, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> well, and I loved how she came out of the office. She she dropped it on Jim's desk and seemed so proud of herself. And I love that line, Jim, or he says, nice work, Pam, this is great. <laughs> and uh, you could see the chemistry between the characters there. Yeah, I must also say I really enjoyed B.J. Novak's interpretation of Chang, that he <laughs> delivered those lines just perfectly. Well, we've been kind of ragging on B.J. a little bit this year and last year, and this is still the stuff where you where he's just kind of like a normal guy. You know, he's like yes. at the beginning, he's just sort of a normal temp coming in with his dry cleaning, and, you know, he's he's having fun with the script, you know, with this little, i sorry, I forget it, or whatever he says, you know. <laughs> and I'll play that clip, I think, in the, in the next chunk here. But, yeah, he's just, you know, he's just having a good old time. He's not acting crazy. He's not uh, Mr. Beardo maniac or anything, not Mr. Hip Speak and... Uh, I don't know. I still feel sad that we lost that character. All right, so after the table reading, they, they get Dwight into it, and this is an interesting point. I think BJ or somebody brought this up in the commentary where they mentioned that you know this is an irresistible thing for Dwight, that he has a choice. He can either protect Michael you know, by trying to defend him by getting the script back, or he can be Michael by being Michael Scarn, and he chooses to uh, be Michael Scarn. So some great line readings in there just between him and I mean, it's just so lame. Dwight and uh, and Phyllis, you know, I have some messages for you. Not now. They're important. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is really such mundane, just ridiculous crap. But, um, you know, as it goes on here, unfortunately, Dwight finds out that he is the butt of one of Michael's jokes. Oscar, you want to play Golden Face? Mr. Scar. Perhaps you would be more comfortable in my private jet. Yes, perhaps I would, Golden Face. Sam, get my luggage. I forget it, brother. Samuel, you are such an idiot. You are the worst assistant ever. And you're disgusting. Dwigged? Wait, who's dwigged? Here's what we think happened. Michael's sidekick, who all through the movie is this complete idiot who's causing the downfall of the United States, was originally named Dwight. But then Michael changed it to Samuel L. Chang using a search and replace. But that doesn't work on misspelled words. Leaving behind one twigged. And Dwight figured it out. Oops. Okay, you know what? I am done with this. That's it. The end. Okay, announcement. My uncle bought me some fireworks. And anyone who wants to see a real show, come with me outside now. <laughs> it's just a, a lot of stuff in there. The, the way that Pam says, oops. <laughs> Is great. Um, you can tell in there that she, when they recorded that talking head, that she had a cold, as they said in the commentary. She does sound a little bit yeah. weird uh, and different. But, you know, what did you think about that? They made a big deal in the commentary about how they thought that the joke was so esoteric that no one would understand it. I mean... Well, I think I think that the way it was explained in the show with her uh, talking about it and then the, the close-up on the actual screenplay itself to see the error... I think it's one of those things where if they just said, oh, it was a search and replace, people wouldn't quite have gotten it. So I think it was important that they did explain it as fully as they did. And, I, you know, the way Dwight just goes, okay, announcement, I just think that that's just a classic Dwight <laughs> Yeah, my move. uncle just bought go, me okay, some I'm fireworks. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking over now, and here's what's going to happen. Uh, because he's, the, of course, nominally in charge with Michael being out of the office, right? Yeah, at... He gets a little upset, of course. It, that's a lot of stuff. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on in here. Dwight getting upset. Um, he obviously forgives Michael at the end of the episode, where he, uh, you know, is sleeping on the couch waiting for him. Uh, maybe that was why he was waiting for him to discuss the dwigged situation. <laughs> but uh, I think so. In any case, well, he storms off. Jim agrees that, you know, let's take a break. Let's get some dinner and. I don't know what everyone's doing there. It's obviously way late. Maybe they're just having so much fun 
that they don't want to go home. But, um, you know, Dwight and Kevin are off there shooting off fireworks and having a good old time. Um, Jim and Pam go up to the roof, and Jim cobbles together some grilled cheese sandwiches and a little dinner for them, you know, and a very romantic scene. I had plans to meet a friend tonight, which I had to cancel. But this is cool, too. I'm not a complainer. Wow. For the bugs? Nice. That's excellent because bugs love my famous grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. Nice. I can't remember the last time someone made me dinner. So, I guess I'll see you in 10 hours. What are you going to do with your time off? Travel. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be really nice. I'm going to find myself. Do you have any music? Yeah. Definitely. You already t- we already touched on this during the introduction, but... You know, I love that stuff. I love those scenes. I love them on the roof. I love the photography. Uh, just, you know, it, it just looks like such a natural world where they're on the roof. You can see off in the distance, you know, Dwight and Kevin running around, jumping in the fireworks <laughs> and acting crazy. And you can see them in the distance. And then, you know, you see Jim and Pam kind of listening, each with one earbud of Jim's iPod and having a nice moment. And some great banter there. That That's the kind of stuff that I just have missed from them so much this last year. Uh, I thought we got a little bit of that during Moroccan Christmas, which is kind of why I liked how they uh, interacted with each other, kind of a little back and forth, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So definitely I, I wish that the writers would go and maybe rewatch some of these old episodes to really try to recapture that feeling. I mean, even if you're, okay, she said yes, I get it, but, you know, you can still have the magic, still have the little romance, the, the, the witty banter back and forth, and I really miss that stuff. Yeah, absolutely, and it is very cute, and I would say as much as we've talked about Jim being kind of the lead in this date here, she goes to the move to say, let me listen to the music, and they have that little, well, the leg <laughs> sway dance, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, dance. I suppose. You know, it always, I guess it all depends on your perspective. Uh, it, from her perspective, if you're to believe her anyway, that, you know, for her this is all platonic, this is all innocent, she's maybe not thinking of it that way, or she is and just doesn't want to admit it. Um, I think that's sort of what happens as the season progresses. At this point in the season, I'm not really sure where she is on that spectrum, but um, everything else after booze, cruise, and all the other things that go on, I think it obviously builds towards that you know, casino night finale, and unfortunately, they dicked us around for another season and a half before we got anything on that, so, oh, man. Well, this has been the end. After, you know, the next day, they share that great night. They come back in the next morning, and everyone's kind of talking about Michael and Jan. And Jim sort of drops this maybe a little heavy-handedly. You know, he's been really reticent up to this point to really make any overt gestures towards Pam. uh, You know, he steals the Christmas note and, you know, all that kind of stuff where he doesn't want her to know what he feels. And he maybe sticks his foot in his mouth just a little bit. Some might even say we had our first date last night. Oh, really? Really? Why might some say that? Because it was dinner by candlelight. Mm-hmm. Dinner and a show, if you include Michael's movie. And there was dancing and fireworks. Pretty good date. We didn't dance. You're right, we didn't dance. It was more like <laughs> swaying. But still romantic. Swaying isn't dancing. At least I didn't leave you at a high school hockey game. I have some taxes to get out. Oh, come on, Pam. I... Okay, we didn't dance. And I was totally joking anyway. I mean, it's not really a date if the girl goes home to her fiancé. <laughs> right? I was totally joking. You know, Jim, denial's not just a river in Egypt, I gotta say. I'm glad that's one thing I don't miss. One thing I gotta say I don't miss about these early seasons is that constant sort of apologizing or oh I didn't really mean it or no I was just kidding or all that kind of stuff where they, they you know they're hiding themselves or we obviously knew what they really felt yes that is true that that's definitely a, a plus for now and uh, yeah I, it was interesting the way he, he kind of capped that up with his talking head there to say was it a date or it's not really a date well right 
and he's still not sure. And so I think that that was kind of a good moment too. A little bit uh, ambiguous maybe, but uh, something I enjoyed. Well, there's a nice connection there too, I think, with the from that to Goodbye Toby, where Jim pays for the fireworks. I think that maybe that's uh, an attempt to recapture that moment. Sure, sure. And then just even his act, exasperation there at the end with Pam, and then, of course, that leads to that uh, visual moment there with Michael at the end as well. <laughs> like you say, yeah, sharing that moment where they're crazy women, you know, what are you going to do? All right, well, uh, all told, like you said, classic episode, what more can we say? Uh, there were a lot of deleted scenes on the disc. We already mentioned one, uh, Jim Talking Head, talking about the um, worst first date and the best first date. There's also some really bizarre stuff in there about Michael Scott uh, losing weight and going on a diet and melon baller or something <laughs> with an egg yolk. I, I don't know. what. Where was that going? I, I, he kind of mentioned it because in the script there's a line where like Samuel L. Chang says, oh, you look like you lost weight. And he says, exactly. thank you. Um <laughs> Is that a reference I, I, to season one? I, I think that this is a way to explain Steve Carell's obvious weight loss between season one and season two. And I think at the end, they realized they didn't need to put that in there. People were fine with it. And plus the fact that their ratings were better in season two, too, also. I think that meant that they didn't have to totally go out of the way on that. So there's a, a scene with Michael and Jan, Michael kind of being a dick on the phone. Uh, with Jan, there's... Uh, a kind of interesting scene about him, you know, talking about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, ABC, what's a closer, and, uh, you know. Well, I, th I think that that scene would have been, if they would included it in an extended cut of this episode, it would have been pretty funny because everyone would have thought, oh, he's just sort of, you know, BSing, he's running his mouth off, but then at the end, of course, he does close the sale, which would be kind of funny as well. But I think we got enough of knowing the character that, you know, we have no expectations that he's going to do great in this episode. And, of course, obviously leading up to that climactic moment, he's looking like the bumbling fool the whole way. So, uh, obviously, you see why they cut that scene, yeah. even though it is pretty good. And that's the point, that, like I mentioned, that uh, we didn't, up to this point, well, yeah, he was a bumbling, you know, bumbling idiot, and we had no expectations. But after this point, then, uh, my expectations were warped. You know, I expected him to be the great salesman every week. So, a little hard to uh, kind of get those to jive with each other, but... You know, there was also a deleted scene with Stanley and Phyllis in there. Uh, and an interesting bit where they kind of run out of the end. There's no ending to the movie, and everybody just kind of fizzles. You know, it doesn't really go anywhere, and so they're all kind of disappointed. Because <laughs> Michael is the Michael Scar and, like, jumps out of the airplane or something in this very dramatic scene, and, and they're all, whoa, what happens? <laughs> you know, what happens next? But see, that's the cliffhanger for Threat Level in Night 2. <laughs> 12.01. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fact. Oh, damn it, it's from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. All right, well, uh, surprisingly enough, there has not been a lot of news on the office front from the last month or so. So, uh, as we mentioned the last time, the office had been nominated for two Golden Globe Awards, one for uh, Best Actor in a Comedy Series, Steve Carell, of course, and then one for Best Comedy Series, and we were both pretty negative on their chances, and, uh, Kevin, the announcements have already been made on the East Coast here anyway as far as what uh, has happened, and, of course, uh, Carell once again loses to Alec Baldwin, and uh, The Office once again loses to 30 Rock. So are we ever going to see The Office winning awards, do you think? Uh, well, until Tina Fey starts uh, going downhill or something, then probably the answer is no. <laughs> One thing I will point out, though, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, take a look at Jenna's Golden Globes. She has a very wonderfully <laughs> revealing uh, low-cut dress that she wore, so uh, thumbs up for me, I gotta say. Well, I guess we can look forward to the Writers Guild Awards, which will be handed out on February 7th, and the office is nominated there as well. And I'm sure that it will lose to 30 Rock. <laughs> All right. Um, just a reminder to anyone that's living outside of the U.S., we did post a link to instructions on how to watch Hulu videos uh, in any country. Usually it is region locked to people in the U.S. Uh, come to the webpage, follow the links, and you too will be watching those deleted scenes and uh, webisodes and everything else you might desire. 
And also a reminder, we did uh, talk about how you can download podcasts such as this one with your iPhone or iPod Touch firmware version 2.2 with the new podcasting feature for iTunes. And again, those instructions are at twsspodcast.com. All right, well, if you want to get in on things like the Viewer's Choice Contest or figure out what I ate for dinner or what's going on in Kevin's life, you can follow us on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash summermat and twitter.com slash Kevin Crossman. These are personal accounts. They're not dedicated, that's what she said, feeds, but we do offer, like I said, little clips and tidbits and shout-outs and whatever things, anything that we do come across, any news or uh, things like that, little impromptu contest will be announced through that way. And um, I also have just taken my first formative steps into the Facebook world, Kevin, so... Yeah, I've started a personal blog. I've been uh, putting my posts into the Twitter feed, so check that out. I, and if you visit the blog, we got some, that's what she said, listeners posting comments. I think that's great. And also, just a quick plug, uh, the Frat Pack Earmuff Award voting has begun. So if you want to vote for Steve Carell or any of the other people, just go to earmuffawards.com before January 19th. I had a good time those last two years. That was a good, uh, you put on a good spread there in the chilies, I gotta say. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the cast blogs. A lot of stuff. Jenna Fisher talking about the Golden Globes, and she says the Golden Globe Awards are tomorrow, and I just had my final dress fitting. I'm so excited. I really, really like my dress. It's a print. It might be a little risky, but I'm going for it. I hope you like it. Yes, I do like it, Jenna, very much. Uh, it's by the same designer who did the dress for the Emmy two years ago. She also said, last time we went to the Golden Globes, I didn't know they'd stop serving food before the event. They clear all the plates 30 minutes before start time, and there's no eating during the ceremony. By the time I got inside, all the plates had been cleared, and there was no food except some bread and chocolates on the table. I was expecting a meal, and I was starving. John, Rain, and I had to share some of Ben Silverman's leftover steak, which I literally grabbed out of a waiter's hand. And then we ate lots and lots of bread. So this year, I'm going there nice and early, and I'm going to eat. You know, i got to say that Jenna Fisher is one of the few celebrities who really gives you an insight to actually how some of this stuff goes down. i got, I got to give her credit for that. Uh, very down-to-earth, even though she is a big star on TV. Melora Hardin has got a special VIP package that she posted on her blog. You know, she's starting in uh, on Broadway in Chicago, and she said, Hurry! Hi, everyone. In celebration of my Broadway debut, I'm delighted and extremely excited to be able to extend a very special and personal New Year invitation to all my friends and fans on Friday evening, January 23rd, and Saturday afternoon, January 24th. The EIP package includes two orchestra seats to either performance, meet and greet Melora at a private party after the show, a souvenir photo with you and Melora at her party, one, deluxe, one night deluxe accommodations at the Time Hotel directly opposite the theater, and it can be yours for only $599 for you and your guests, including hotel, or just $399 without hotel. You can book your package now. Well, Matt, do you think you'll be spending $400 for that special VIP experience with Melora Hardin? Well, I'm going for the $599. You've got to have a place to stay. So, no, I don't, You know, whatever. I don't know how much this stuff goes for. You know, a night in the New York hotel was at least 100 bucks. If you want to see Melora Hardin and you're a big Broadway fan, hey, go for it. Just seems a little funny the way she worded it, but anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, we have an Andy and Angela wedding update, which gets increasingly kind of pointless as the time goes on. Um, well, I think that the interesting thing about this one is, that, you know, we'll talk about the next episode, but this might be the last wedding <laughs> update, obviously. And I like kind of how they went a little bit full circle on this one, talking right. about the gift registry. <laughs> well, Andy says, as a child, I learned from my parents, you don't tell someone how much you love them. You show them by buying them extravagant gifts. The more you get, the more someone loves you. That's actually a, wasn't that a Michael Scott line from that Christmas episode? Uh, Something maybe, along yeah. those lines. Um, <laughs> today, I'm a fully grown, but uh, it's clear my parents still really, really love me. They may not be able to reschedule their Norwegian cruise to attend my wedding, but they sure as heck brought Angela, sure as heck bought Angela and I everything on our gift registry. Well... Technically not everything. Angela read in several for cat magazines about a class action lawsuit against the makers of a litter box cabinet. Apparently a number of obese felines got stuck in the entrance, resulting in a handful of deaths. And my parents weren't able to find the toast and jammies kitty cat PJs in my size, which is a major bummer. 
Anyway, since we've been so fortunate, Angela and I have decided to help those who are really in need. So in lieu of gifts, please donate to one or more of the following charities close to our hearts. The Cornell University Endowment, Daughters of the American Revolution, Big Cat Rescue, Bibles for the World, Paws, Pets Are Worth Saving, and the Friends of the Scranton Public Library. Yeah, it's kind of funny that, you know, the, you get some insight to Andy with his parents not even being able to attend the wedding because of their Norwegian cruise. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> All right, and then uh, the latest update from Meredith Sex in the Electric City blog. Pick up lines are like poetry to this party, gal. I just love them. I feel like such a special lady when a guy taps me on the shoulder and asks me if I have any Polish in me. Tell me you want to know if the carpet matches the drapes and my heart melts. <laughs> The only problem with pickup lines is that you have to wait for the guys to approach. So I stopped waiting for guys to come over me and started using pickup lines on them. I strut over, spit out a, a Thai cherry stem and coup. Is that a banana in your pocket? Or you've just won a TV, come to my place to get it. The last line usually works good. You know, that blog just keeps <laughs> creeping me out every week. <laughs> creepier and creepier. That glimpse into Meredith's life is not a not a sunny one, my friend. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, next new episode, and thank God we are ready for another new episode. Uh, coming on January 15th, known as The Duel, and we speculated how long this is going to drag out, but uh, it looks like not very long. A fight to the finish. The office is on eggshells because Andy still hasn't found out about fiancé Angela's affair with Dwight. When Michael spills the beans, Dwight and Andy take matters into their own hands. Meanwhile, Michael is nervous about being called down to corporate for a meeting with Wallace. So, uh, there you go. This stupid triangle should be hopefully resolved within the next week. Now, Matt, who do you think is going to win the duel? Pitting the, you know, numerous skills as a former police volunteer, Dwight, against <laughs> Mr. Anger Management, Andy. Who do, you, who do you think will win the duel? Well, Dwight's got the skills, but Andy has the pure rage, so I don't know. Might have, it might even out, unless it's a, maybe it's an acapella contest. <laughs> I'm going to go with my mate Andy on this one. Take it to the bank, everyone. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just don't think that maybe maybe he'll win the duel, but Angela obviously doesn't want to be with him, so I don't know where that's going to end up. That's about going to do it for us then this week, Kevin. Join us in about a week or so for episode 60, The Duel. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast at gmail.com and visit the show's blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. If you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and help spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Music for this episode is provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember, head on over to NBC.com slash The Office during the week. For additional deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, cast blogs, and more. And actually, right now they have a uh, design a t-shirt contest going on over there on the blog. So if you have uh, ever wanted to see your very own office-related t-shirt creation uh, be sold in the NBC Universal store, this is your chance. I don't know, Kevin, have you taken a look at any of the entries so far? Well, there's one that says, I love Jim, and that's my favorite. Well, that's one that already existed, I think, in the oh, previous. Well. But uh, it's a classic. Well, I went through and looked at them. There's like 165 pictures they have posted on their site so far, and about 150 of them are pretty horrendous. But um, I'm not really been impressed. I haven't seen any that have really knocked my socks off yet. But uh, hurry, and you still might win the contest. I think you get like 10 free shirts or something and get to see your shirt sold to the grateful public so head on over there and put your photoshopping skills to the test all right well that's gonna do it um for kevin crossman i'm matt summer and we are out of here <laughs>